Uh, we are in our series and beginning really in seriousness of our series, Crucial Conversations. Those, those conversations, those times that we speak with God are conversations that we have with our Heavenly Father. I don't know, but you know, you hear from so many people that one of the most frustrating aspects of our Christian life is our prayer life. Either we pray and nothing happens, or we pray and we don't feel like our prayers getting above the ceiling of the wherever room we're in at the time, or we, we, just, we, just, we just have time, even finding time to pray. And, and Prayer is the lifeblood of a Christian, and, and, and it's so important that as we lead into this fall, as we lead into to the, what, this, what God, we believe, is going to do through our church and through you and through me this fall, we, just, we know we need to be people of prayer. And so we come this morning, and I'm going to be reading from Hebrews. Spent, spent a lot of time this week in this great book of Hebrews with uh, three verses uh, we'll read together. It's Hebrews chapter four, if you have your Bibles. It also will be up on the screen. If you follow on at home, maybe you have your Bibles there too. But the scriptures go as this, starting in verse 14 through verse 16 of Hebrews chapter four. It says, therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are. Yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Real quickly, just a note about the book of Hebrews. Hebrews is one book in the Bible where we really don't know because it does not say who wrote it or even who it's addressed to, especially in the New Testament. We normally have Paul addressing, you know, I'm Paul and I'm writing, or Peter. And, but here, there's no writer. Now, some people think it's Apollos. Some people think Barnabas, but we really don't know. All we do know is if you look early in the chapter, they definitely are, is somebody who is very tightly connected, knows very well the apostles. So he's, he's part of an inner circle, but he doesn't identify himself. And we really don't know why it was written other than it was obviously written to people who knew the Jewish ways very well. They understood the Old Testament. And so it's, and that's why we get the name Hebrews for the book. Now, it, it, it seems also to be written, if you read all the way through, to people who are struggling with their newfound faith. They are people who have been gone through trials, imprisonment, difficult times. And so they are considering even walking away. And you see this as a theme as you walk and study through Hebrews. As, as he says, you know, he sees people maybe walking away or maybe trying to bring Judaism into the, into the Christianity and, and kind of combining the two. And, and so you see this written through here. But most of all, the writer of Hebrews through all of this is pointing to the supremacy and the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. He said he is, he is both the introducer of God's grace to us and he's also the mediator. He's the one that stands between us. He's the, he's the, he intervenes between us and God and it's Jesus and it's only Jesus. Jesus is all we need. We don't need a law. We don't need, we don't need the, the, the Old Testament sacrifices. Jesus Christ is sufficient and that's what he's laying out throughout the scripture. And so that brings us to this verse, the first verse we read today, the beginning of that verse 14. He says this, therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God. There's a pack full of information there. First of all, the pack full is, uh, there's always a pack full of information when you get the word therefore. Because when you see the word therefore, you're supposed to stop and ask what it's there for, obviously. So we, we look at that and we see therefore, he's been saying Jesus is superior. This Jesus is superior to Moses. He's superior to the angels. He's superior to the law. Jesus Christ is superior to anything and anyone who's ever come before. And he wants to make sure that they know that. Everything is under him. He says in Hebrews that God, God through Jesus Christ created the world. And it says that everything is under him. And yet, he came as one of his brothers. He lowered himself for a little while and died and died for us. And that's the message of Hebrews. And he says, so since Jesus, who is supreme, supreme over everybody else and has come, because of that, therefore, 
since we have a great high priest. And he starts to bring in some of this Old Testament imagery. You say, well, what's a high priest? A high priest was the supreme religious leader of the Jews. In fact, Hebrews 5.1 tells us that every high priest is selected from among the people and is appointed to represent the people in matters related to God to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. So that was the job of the high priest. But the most important job of the high priest happened one day a year. On the Day of Atonement, the most holy days for Jews, Yom Kippur, which is in two weeks, it begins on Saturday and ends on Sunday, two weeks from today. So if you have Jewish friends, you'll notice that that day is a holy day, the, the Day of Atonement. And on that day, on that day and that day only, the priest and high priest and only the high priest could actually go beyond the holy place, the outer, the outer realm of, of, of the inner circle or of the inner of the temple and could actually go into the inner place, the holy of holies. He could go in there and at that time would offer and, and be a mediator, would go to God and present the sins of the people for this past year and God would forgive their sins. Once a year, the sins for the last year taken care of. That was the job of the high priest. But he doesn't say Jesus is just a high priest. He says a great high priest. <laughs> he says he is a great high priest. Hebrews 5.5 5 says it's appointed by God. The rest of them are all appointed by men. Uh, but he was appointed by God. So why is he great? Why is he great? Well, it goes on. It says he was ascended into heaven. None of the other high priests, the humans, they never get, they, they only got inside the, the, high, the curtain. They only got into the Holy of Holies, the representative, representative of God's throne. Jesus actually went to the real place. In fact, some of your versions say he went through the heavens because in the Jewish mind there were multiple heavens. But, but here says Jesus went through the heavens. He busted through them all, got to the throne, got to God's, where God is, and he is sitting right there with him. In fact, Hebrews 7, 7 9 says he is in a in highly, 726, he is in the highest place of honor. That's where he is today. So he is not just in this, he just didn't go around a curtain and get in the place where re represents God's presence. He is actually in God's presence. And oh, by the way, it says he is the son of God. Not just a human, not just like everybody else, not like every other high priest, but he is, a, he is the great high priest, son of God at the throne. And so he says this, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. Don't go back. Hold firmly. Don't, don't slip back. Just because, because times are tough, because, because things don't seem to be working out, don't go back to that old way. Don't go slip into those old patterns. Don't let the trials, don't let the imprisonments discourage you. I love, love, love the way Eugene Peterson translates this in his version, The Message. He says this, now that we know what we have, Jesus, the great high priest with ready access to God, let's not let it slip through our fingers. Oh, now that you know what you have, don't let it slip through your fingers. I think for many of us, one of, a lot of us love the movies, the Indiana Jones series, and Raiders of the Lost Ark. Except if you remember the end of that first movie, The Raiders of the Lost Ark in the series. There's Indy, he's, he's fought back and forth with the Nazis to get the, the Ark of the Covenant. And he's finally got it. And, and everything that it represents. And what does the United States government do with it? <laughs> they put it on a forklift and they stick it on a shelf in a warehouse. <laughs> and it's like, Indiana's there, they don't know what they have. Do you know what you have in Christ Jesus? Have we taken time to consider what we have in Jesus? If we do, I think we'd be much like Eugene Peterson says, we can't let that slip through our fingers. My relationship with Christ can't be something that I'd ignore and put on a shelf. What we have with Jesus Christ is one who is the great high priest. He has done away with the need for any other high priests. He is at God's throne, interceding for us. We have him. Hmm. 
Have you thought about what you have in Jesus? Now, he goes on in verse 15, he says this, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. You know, it's easy to think of this great high priest, he's up there with God, well, he's got nothing to do with me. He, he doesn't understand me, and, and the writer of Hebrews says, no, 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 he understands all about you, he's been one of you. He's been tempted in every way, just like you are, and, and, and probably more severely than we've been tempted. Because most of us admit it, when the temptations get so strong, we tend to yield to temptation. But Jesus never yielded, it says. Never yielded once. And so he's experienced the temptation. In fact, earlier in Hebrews, it says he suffered in his temptations. He suffered in his humanity. He suffered when tempted, Hebrews 2.18. But he was human. In fact, Hebrews 5.2 tells us a little bit about the human priest. They says he is able, the human priest, is able to gently deal with those who are ignorant and are going astray since he himself is subject to our weaknesses. That's a beautiful description of Jesus. In our weaknesses, he's been there. He's done that. He's experienced it. He's been tempted and yet, he continues to be without sin. Chapter 2, verse 14 tells us in Hebrews that, that Jesus shared our humanity with us. But it says so that he could defeat death, defeat Satan, our enemy. That's what we have. So you're saying, okay, what's all this got to do with prayer? <laughs> And what's all this Old Testament and great high priest and Jesus at the throne? What's it got to do with prayer? And he answers that. He, he, and he starts to unravel this or unpack this a little bit in verse 17, verse 16, when he says this, let us then approach. Let us then, because of all of that, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our times of needs because of what everything Jesus has done because he's our great high priest, because he's up there at the throne of God, and because he's there for us, we can approach God with confidence. Some of your versions, the way I grew up, was we can approach boldly. Not with arrogance, not demanding, but we can approach with confidence, and we can approach boldly the throne of grace. Doesn't that seem a little bit sacrilegious at times? To even think I could approach God boldly? <laughs> I don't know about you, but to me, every now and then, I feel, boldly? I'm I'm approaching God shaken, kind of like Isaiah in chapter 6. Oh my, you know, uh, uh, woe is me. <laughs> but he says, because of what Jesus has done, we can boldly, confidently come to him, the high priest, because he is at God's right hand. And he's doling out to, doling out to us both mercy and grace. Mercy, mercy is, the, is for the forgiveness for what we've done. But it's also grace in the future, the strength, the power for our time of need. So we come to God and, for, and, and asking forgiveness, saying, Lord, I've, I've, I haven't measured up. I, I've failed you in many ways, but then there's mercy. But Lord, I've got a tough week coming up. I've got some challenges, and, and I've got a time of need coming up. And he gives us grace as we go to him through that. I'll just love Peterson again. Now that we know what we have, now that we know what we have, don't let it slip through your fingers. Don't let it slip through your fingers. So let's approach God with confidence, with boldness, asking for his mercy, his grace. So let me ask you this question. Let me ask you this question today. How do you approach God? Now, we could ask that two ways. We could ask that two ways. We could ask, how do you approach God? Which is a good question, and we're going to talk to some about that. But I might even ask it this way. How do you approach God? And that's what I really want us to think about today is, how do I approach God? Am I approaching God in boldness and confidence? What does that mean to approach God with confidence? Well, I think, first of all, you know, it was interesting. The high priest could only approach God once a year. 
He could only come into the Holy of Holies, the representation of God and where God was. His spirit rested in the, with, the, with the ark. He can only do that once a year. But we have such a privilege. In fact, I think a confident prayer approaches God frequently. Frequently. And let me, let me think about this. There's a, there's a story about a, uh, the Eastern or the early African converts to Christianity. They were passionate about their faith. They were, they were passionate and dedicated to their personal time of devotion. And in fact, it's said that, that when, when they would come to the Lord, that there would be specific patches in specific places in the thatch that they would go and they would make their own prayer place. And they would go there and because they would go there to pray and because they were passionate about their prayer life and their devotion life, that there would become a well-worn path to where they would go to pray. They would go again, frequently again and again and again because it was their relationship with God that they were passionate about and they wanted to spend time with him and they wanted to hear from him. They wanted to commune with him and so this path would wear and wear and wear. But it's also said that if there was somebody, if one of the brothers started to get lax in their prayer life, it became very evident and they would gently say to him, brother, grass grows on your path. <laughs> How's your path? If someone had a measuring stick, that they could, they could look at you and determine how faithful you've been in prayer. How often you go to the Lord. Would, would that be something of an embarrassment? Or it would be something that you would be pleased with? How's, the, how's your path? Does grass grow on it? Has it been a while? Is it not that often? You, only when you're in trouble? How often do you go to God? How would it feel to have your prayer life on display for everybody to see? Jesus knew frequent prayer was important so much so that he applied it to his own life. Luke 5, 16 says, but Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. I can tell you if Jesus needs it, I need it. I need those lonely, those times away, those times uninterrupted, those quiet times. I read this week, don't try to multitask your relationship with God. Don't try to multitask your prayer time. Oh man, I, 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 sometimes I just get busy and I try to fit everything into the same few moments. A getaway spot, a place in the thatch, a place where you can have your well-worn path. <laughs> Where's your place that you go to? Frequently. Where's that place you can go to? You can be alone, undisturbed. But I don't think it's just frequently. Uh, a confident prayer, person of confidence in prayer approaches God consistently. Consistently, regularly. You know, the Jewish people had times of prayer scheduled during the day. In fact, we read in Acts chapter 3, verse 1, Peter and John, they were going up to the temple to pray at the, at the time of prayer. It was, it was the ninth hour, 3 o'clock in the afternoon. It was a time of prayer. It was when they went because probably they were like me. And maybe like you, if I just say, well, I'll get to it when I get to it. It's kind of like the girl who sings tomorrow, tomorrow. <laughs> I'll get to it tomorrow. I'll get to my prayer life tomorrow. Oh yeah, oh yeah, I got some other things to do. And, and no, if we have a scheduled time, if we have a time where we set aside to go. A time, first thing in the morning, a time where we meet with Christ, a time where we set aside. Then we're not subject to the whims of the hour. Schedule your time. Get a rhythm of prayer. Consistent, not haphazard. Frequently and consistently. Apostle Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, pray without ceasing. Just Keep going and on, keep going and keep going. Don't stop. 
It's without intermission, incessantly. It's absolutely necessary. I have written in my Bible, and I don't know where I heard it, who said it, but it's brilliant. It says, it says, prayer should be our steering wheel in life, not our spare tire. Prayer should be our steering wheel. It's what we, we got our hands on there all the time when we're in the car. We never let go. Or if we do for a second, we, we're just, we're going right back on there. It's, it's what leads us, it's what directs us, it helps us to turn. Not to spare tire, we get out once in a blue moon when we blow a tire. Prayer should be part of our everyday life, moment by moment, in whatever we're doing. In, in his book, The Beginning to Pray, um, Anthony Bloom, and if you've never heard of Anthony Bloom, he was a um, Russian and then, and then um, immigrant, Persian from, from Iran area, immigrant and refugee who then ended up in France, okay? So he ended up in France, and he ended up fighting with the French army in World War II. He was trained as a surgeon. And so Bloom was this trained surgeon, and he... Uh, went in and, and served, came out, opened his own practice. Uh, eventually, though, he moved from his practice, which he gave up, to going into the priesthood, to then being the um, really head of the Roman, um, or the, the Russian Orthodox Church in Western Europe. He died in 2003, I think, wrote many books on prayer and, and a deep prayer and a life of a spiritual person. But he write in his, wrote in his book, Beginning of Prayer, that his life as a surgeon was a busy life. You can imagine. And you know your lives and our lives and how busy we might be. In fact, he said his, his typical way of going through life and going through a day was that all the, you know, every patient would just come through his office one at a time, one at a time, one at a time. And he said, I would want to, I just want to move them in and out and get it going so fast. And he said, I never really paid attention to even who it was. In fact, normally when someone was coming in the door, instead of really greeting them, I was looking out to see how many more people I had to go. He said, I got through the day and I started realizing I'd gotten through a day and I didn't know one person. I couldn't name you one person that I saw that day. And he said, I also realized that because I wasn't listening, <laughs> I was having to have people repeat everything to me time and time again because I wasn't listening, because I was thinking about what I got to do and thinking about this and not paying much attention. And he says, so I came to, my, came to my senses and I said, I'm going to treat each person as if they're an, the only person alive. And so the next day he comes in, he starts bringing his patients in and he spends time with them, gets their name, understands, and then on to the next. And he, he says, Amazing. I had more time than I ever had before. I didn't have to have things repeated to me four and five times. <laughs> so I could get them, I could get what I needed. Well, you might not guess it didn't stop there. As he got busy again and frustrated and all that, he started thinking, I need, what I need to do is I need to stop time. Now, I don't know, it wouldn't be nice if we could really stop time at times. But he says, what I need to do is when I get frazzled in my day and everything's going crazy, I need time with God and I need it now. And so I said, I'm going to stop time and whatever I'm doing, if it's between patients, even whatever, I'm going to take, I'm going to take five minutes and I'm just going to be alone, quiet and listen and with God. And he started that practice. Every day, at times during the day when things are getting busy, let's stop time. And he would go and he'd spend five minutes with the Lord. Sometimes he said, I only got three. But he says his life was transformed as he began to hear from God, as he began to have this communion with the Lord who is up and through the heavens at the throne of God. He, he said, I'm not going to let this time slip through my fingers. Of course, for him, it kept going on and got longer and longer and, and to his hour and hours, and then he went into the priesthood. But he said, those time stoppages, those times where I come into God all the time without ceasing every day, and, and when it gets so busy, I just got to call time out. He says, it's amazing, it's amazing. The world went on and functioned fine while I took my five-minute breaks. <laughs> Nothing was worse for wear. And I was able to do that. So how's your time? How's your path? Are you getting your five minutes? It's a great place to start. It's a great place. Start with five minutes when you get up. Before you take time. I got to brush my teeth. I got to shave. I got to eat. I got to do all this. No, take five minutes. Five minutes with God. During the day, five minutes. A five-minute stoppage time. 
just to be with him. He says prayer is as much a state as it is an act. And he would just take that time and be quiet before God. Settle me, God. Paul, when writing to the church at Ephesus, says pray in the spirit on all occasions. Pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. In Philippians 4, 6, Paul says, do not be anxious for anything, but in every situation, in the middle of your day, in the middle of seeing patience, in the middle of whatever you may be doing, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And I love this. I love it's not only, it's not only time, but he encourages us. Don't let it slip through your fingers. If you've got requests, bring them to me. Don't be afraid to bring your request to God. And here's something I want to challenge you with this morning. Don't be afraid to bring the request about yourself to God. Maybe, maybe you're like me, and I, it seems like selfish at times when I'm praying for myself. It seems selfish at times that, that I'm not praying for the world or for, the, for, for you or the everybody. And, and, and so many times when the question is what really needs prayer or who really needs prayer, it's, it's, it's myself that needs prayer. One of my heroes in prayer is a man named John Pipo. He wrote a book, Prayer, Reflections on 40 Years of Solitary Conversations with the Lord. And, and he's just a beautiful, beautiful book. And his longest chapter is on praying for himself. And, and he, actually, he actually writes this. He, sa he says, prayer is trusting, not controlling. Prayer is, or excuse me, I'm way ahead of myself. He writes this, the more we mature, the more we ask. There we go. Wrong Pippo coat. The more we mature, the more we ask. Now you may say, that doesn't sound right. You know, the little kids ask all the time. But he says, no, no. The more, the more we come to know God, the closer we get to him, the, the more we have a relationship with him, the more we see our need for him. The more we see our need for him to change our character, even if we've been with him for 20, 30 hours, years, Lord, you need to keep working on me. You need to keep filling me with your mercy and your grace. You need to keep helping me to love people that I just have a hard time loving. You need to help me get rid of this critical spirit. You need to give me a spirit of thanksgiving. Father, pray, and he prays all these things. I, in his chapter, he, he started listening. He discusses paragraph after paragraph of things that he prays about for himself. And I started writing down, and he's, he's, I was at 30 items, different things that he prays for himself. And I quit writing. Things like, I need to change. Lord, help me to change. Help my ego to be defeated. Help me to realize my own faults. Help me to be released from perpetual ingratitude. God, would you produce your love in me? God, help me to love my enemies. God, give me the courage to love. Give me a love that's not jealous. Lord, help me in my weaknesses. Lord, let me see the bigger picture. Let me see from the perspective of eternity. It goes on and on and on, the things that we can pray for ourselves about. Which reminds me, I think a person who comes to God confidently also comes faithfully. Even if things aren't going our way. You know, when the tough get going, or when the going gets tough, the tough get on their knees. The tough get on their knees. We come faithfully. Romans 12, 12 says, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Even when we don't see the answers. Can we be faithful in our prayers even when things aren't going our way? Don't stop. Be faithful. A person, a confident person that approaches God, I think also approaches him with thanksgiving. Finally, Colossians 4.2, we read, devote yourself to prayer. Be watchful and thankful. Enter his gates with thanksgiving, Scripture tells us. Thanksgiving and faithful, even when things may not be going our way. One of my favorite quotes, and I've used it several times, it comes from former large pastor, church pastor Pete Wilson. He says, we can pray with confidence. We can pray with confidence, knowing that our prayers are heard and that they make a difference. We can pray with confidence, knowing our prayers are heard and they make a difference. But we can't pray with certainty knowing that the difference it's making is what, our, what we desire. The difference we'd be making may not be our way we want to see turn out, 
But God is working. And it comes to a matter of trust. That's where Pippo says, praying is trusting, not controlling. Can you trust God in your prayers? Trust him. Don't try to control him. Be thankful in the answers you get. Be faithful. Because a confident prayer comes to God and approaches God with trust. With trust. Proverbs 3, 4, 5, 4, 5, and 6, or 5 and 6 is trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not in your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. Let me ask you, does your path have grass on it? How worn is your path? This week, make a commitment. Make a commitment maybe to start a new path or to, to wear down that grass a little bit. And I would suggest you start with a five-minute stoppage. You know, don't try to bite off an hour this week if you haven't been praying. Well, if, if you need to, do it. <laughs> but don't get discouraged if you can't. Stop with those five-minute stoppages. Say, Lord, I need to talk, or I need to hear. I need to listen. I need to be still. And see what God will do. This week, we're, this month, we're going to be talking a lot about praying for others. How we're going to pray as a congregation together. How, what's corporate prayer? But today, how's your prayer life? How do you approach God? Or how do you approach God? Is your path well worn? Let's work on our paths this week. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. Thank you for your message that speaks to us. And Father, today we come, Lord, each one of us, having our own challenges in prayer, I'm sure. Um, Lord, some have been doing this for years, and Lord, they, uh, they, they know what a vibrant, exciting, passionate prayer life is. Lord, I pray that that experience would happen to each one here today. Father, that we wouldn't let this opportunity slip through our fingers, that we wouldn't have, look at this opportunity of having Jesus Christ there at the throne, ready to, your, Lord, you're ready to just roll out to us all the mercy and grace that we need for, for what we're going through today. And Lord, we, so many times we fail to tap into it. Lord, help us. Help us to seek you. Lord, help us to be more passionate in our prayer life. Lord, help us to, to know that you are there desiring us, inviting us to come, and not just to come, but to come boldly, to come confidently to you. And we know that's only because of what Jesus Christ did for us. The sacrifice Lord, we thank you for that this morning. So go with us today as we pray. Lord, help us, whether it's a five-minute stop, whether it's an hour, or whatever we can get in, Lord. Help us to seek you, to seek your face, to nurture that relationship in new and beautiful ways. Through Christ Jesus our Lord. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you so much for joining us this morning. It's been such a privilege to come into your homes as we worship together each week. And this week as we started our series on crucial conversations. And I hope you really enjoyed that and got you thinking about your prayer life. And in fact, in just a minute, some questions are going to come on your screen. And they are going to be questions you can think about, you can discuss maybe with some friends even there with you, and pray about as you consider what God is saying to you. Now, regarding Friends Church and everything that's going on here, you know we're heading into fall and a lot is starting to happen. I encourage you to go to our website, check out some of the things. One thing, starting September 23rd, Financial Peace University, FPU, is beginning. And it will start, it's going to be all online this year, but it's going to be a great opportunity to learn how to budget, to learn how to be a good steward, just how to handle your money. It's well worth it. So I encourage you, maybe you or someone, a friend, would benefit from this. Go online, check out Financial Peace University. Or on the 28th of September starts Grief Share. I know there are many who look forward to this program and, and I know who've been asking about it. So it will be online. It will be great. So I can, can just 
please go and find that on our website. Register whfriends.org. Go there and you can sign up for each of those two. Also, coming up, and maybe you've heard in October, our group life will restart. It's going to be all online, but we're going to have groups every night. We're going to be going through the book of Acts in our pray scripture format. That's going to be exciting. we got great leaders getting lined up. We're almost done, ready to roll out and uh, invite you. So be looking forward and thinking about how you might like to be involved with our group life. And of course, Celebrate Recovery continues. So Monday night, 6.30, here at the Worship Center, Celebrate Recovery is a great opportunity for those that, that are in any way, have hurts, habits, hangups, come join us together. So have a great week. We'll see you next week. And remember, keep in prayer and take those five minutes, those five minute intervals, whenever they may be, just take those and spend some time between you and God in quiet and prayer and see what that might do for your week. Have a great week. God bless. Thank you.